I'm glad to be home in Winsboro, Louisiana. All right, before we get started, I'm going to pray. You guys good with that? All right, Father, I just, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, just thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We welcome, we know that you are here, where two or more are gathered in your name. You're there you are in the midst. And yet at the same time, we welcome you and invite you at the same time, God. Lord, we ask you to break down all our walls, all our barriers, anything, any, any non-truths that we believe, any, any junk that's holding us back from walking and everything that you have for us. Just break it down and every, every lie or every, everything that's going to prevent us from hearing your truth today, we just rebuke it, say leave in Jesus' name. If you, if you guys would say this with me, just say, I want to receive from you today, God. Open my mind to hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, i tell you what, it has been a journey, an amazing journey. Planting a church is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not playing. Planting a church is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Picked up, my wife and I and family and kids picked up, moved to a city. Like my dad said, we literally didn't know where it was on the map when we told God that we would go. Is Dre Bonnie in here? Dre? There he is. Dre, would you stand up? Would you guys give this man a hand? Our church is a result of his act of obedience. Think about that. You can sit down, man. Dre was a drug addict and heavily involved in gangs and stuff from Clearwater, Florida. Ended up coming here, had a daughter, wanted to get his life right for his daughter. Ended up coming here, going, to, going through Fresh Start. From the city, cornfields, what? Middle of nowhere, what? God radically changes his life. I mean, just radically understands who Jesus is. It changes him on the inside, but then he understood who Jesus said he was, and he realized he's a new creation, never had to go back to his old lifestyle. Man, and he just began to grow in that. Well, he graduates fresh start. Here's that act of obedience, I'm telling you. And God tells him to stay in Winsboro, Louisiana. Now, if you've ever heard him tell the story, you know, all he knew about Louisiana was New Orleans when he was, or New Orleans, when he was coming, you know, and, and he's driving cornfields, and, and he's like, what's going on? Where's the city? So he graduates, and God tells him to stay in a place that really he didn't want to be in the first place, but God moved him here, and, and, and home is where your heart is, so he was, where home, he was home because his heart was with Jesus, and Jesus said he was going to be right here. And so he didn't do what he wanted to do. He did what God wanted to do, which became what he wanted to do. Right? Uh, the Bible says when you, he who, who loves his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So he obeyed and he stayed. If he wouldn't have done that, real church would not be a thing. A couple years later, I move home, meet Dre. We become friends. You know, he asked me to mentor him and. Say, no, Jesus is your mentor, but I'll be your friend, teach you what I know. Pull him into ministry with me. He starts helping with the youth. He pulls me into music with him. 
made this white boy rap a little bit. <laughs> and asked me to start praying for his family back home in Clearwater. So I said, all right, of course I'll pray for them. I start praying for this family back home in Clearwater. I don't know if it's by a clear lake. I don't know. I don't know where Clearwater is. I'm praying. The crazy thing is, God answers prayer. Never forget this scripture. Write this scripture down. Memorize it. Write it on your hearts. Meditate on it. Think about it. 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15. If you ask anything, anything according to his will, he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you know that you have whatever you have asked. That's a crazy promise. So anything that we pray in, in line with his will, anything, anything, it will happen. Period. So I began praying for his family, and it's God's will for his family to come to the same knowledge of faith that he has. Well, a lot of times when you begin to pray, God will use you as part of the, own, uh, the answers to your own prayers. It's just kind of a principle in Scripture. It's pretty amazing. I've seen it happen all throughout my life. So be careful what you pray for, but don't be careful. Just pray what he tells you to pray. Really? I mean, right? So, so I began praying. A couple months later, Dre calls me. He calls me D. He said, hey, D. What's up, Dre? <laughs> hey, says, hey, would you, would you, my little brother is going through some stuff. Would you talk to him, uh, minister to him? So I, I began just sharing the love of Jesus with him. His, he begins weeping on the phone. This is answers to my prayer. I'm being used as part of the own answer to my prayer and Dre's prayer. And, well, there's a, another principle in Scripture. Where you see God at work, that's your invitation from God to join him in what he's doing. I want my eyes not to be on what I'm doing. I want them to be on what he's doing. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. That was the relationship that he had. And we are to be an imitator of Christ. So our focus, our eyes, everything that we do is supposed to be on him. And, and, and what we see, what we focus on, that's what we reproduce. Is your life reproducing Jesus? If it's not, shift your focus. So through some amazing, cool God stuff, he told me to pick up my family, move to Dre's hometown, wherever that was, and start a church. And then he confirmed it over and over and over and over and over. But you see, we, we just make one decision. My, one of my best friends in the world, Clay Russell, says this. Says this I, I've made one decision in my life. I'm going to follow Jesus, period. I just made one decision. I, it makes it easy. So if God says do it, you just say, yes, sir. You just go. Why? Because his will is the best will for your life. It's better than your will for your life. And as a matter of fact, you are created to follow his will no matter what. And, and really, really, as you begin to follow his will, you realize that it was better anyway, and you're having more fun anyway, and it's more fulfilling anyway. And it's like, oh my gosh, how could life be this amazing? It's because you finally quit living for yourself, and you started living for the one that you were created to live for. Right? So, man, I'm having fun, guys, because I'm exactly where God's 
I'm exactly where God's had me. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be standing here this Sunday right now telling you how amazing giving your life for Jesus and just following him wholeheartedly to a whole other place and just saying, God, whatever, you send me, I'll go because I know it's going to be amazing. You know, this Sunday I got a text from my wife about an hour and a half ago. We had, um, we, have, we call the serve team the dream team. That's like the band and the production team and the, and the greeters and the ushers and the, and the people, you know. People get there at 7.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning in order to unload a truck and set up a church in a high school. And we make a high school look like a church in an hour and 15 minutes. From 7.30 to 8.45, then we pray. You, you know, at our dream team huddle, we had 50 people serving today. 50 people a part of the vision, 50 people that are helped carrying the load. I'm not talking about the, the, the sitting in the seats listening. I'm talking about people that are like, you know what, I'm giving my life. I, I, I'm in it more than just sitting there on a Sunday morning. Man, I, I want to help carry this thing because I realize, I realize that, man, it, it takes effort, it takes time, it takes blood, it takes sweat, it takes tears. But at the same time, the more that I give, the more that I receive. Because I realize this thing isn't about me. Think about, I might get a little ahead of myself here. <laughs> Christians to maturity. The Bible says born again. And you got doctors, you got lawyers, you got people who have been in, in high-class society, presidents of nations and people who give their life to Jesus. And these, these high-class people, they give their life to Jesus and they're born again. So spiritually, they're little infants. Man, Jesus takes the high and makes them low, and takes the low and makes them high. So you, you got a little infant. How does an infant feed? All they know to do is cry when they're hungry. Somebody else gives them a bottle, or the mama feeds, feeds the baby, breastfeeds the baby. As the, as the baby grows, the baby learns to hold its own bottle. You're born again, you're an infant. Baby, ba all right, let's, let's just pause right there. Let's pause right there. I'm going to get into that. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to get into that in the middle of the message. Here we go. You guys ready for this? All right. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Here we go. So at, uh, at Real Church, we are in the middle of a series called Characters. You guys say Characters. I like doing that. I don't know. It gets you guys in, into uh, uh, what we're talking about and everything. And what we're doing is, is we're going through different characters in the Bible. So every Sunday morning will be a different character. And, uh, and we're, we're looking at the life lessons of these people in the Bible and, and how, you know, what they did and what they learned and, and what they walked through, how that impacts our life here and now. So it's not just a bunch of distant stories, but it's stuff that can practically help us in our daily life today. And here's why. James chapter 5, verse 16, the last part of it says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. But then it goes on to say, Elijah was a man just like us. That means Elijah pulled his pants up in the morning just like we do. Elijah ate. Sometimes Elijah was scared. 
Sometimes Elijah didn't know what was going on, and yet he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years because of his prayer. And then he prayed that it would, and it did. Elijah, the guy that called down fire from heaven, I mean, the guy that ran as fast as horses. Come on, this guy did some supernatural stuff, and yet he was a person just like we are. He's more than just a character from the Bible. He's an example of what we can be when we understand who we are in Christ and we have faith in what his word says about us. So now, because it says that, when I read scripture, I'm no longer reading about these guys who are 6,000, 5,000, 4,000, 2,000 years ago. I'm reading about people and I'm putting myself in scripture realizing, man, how does this apply to my life? This is how he responded. Man, I want to learn from that and not respond that way or, or do respond that way because I realize that these are people just like us put in there so we can learn how to live today as we follow Jesus. That's the importance of this character series. Characters. It's behind me. That's cool. So we're going to be talking today about Peter and John. I'm a little scratchy. I was an auctioneer last night at the, at the auction. I had to talk real fast and said a lot of stuff. And so I need some hydration. Uh, it's not like I'm drinking a Coca-Cola on a commercial. Uh. <laughs> All right, Peter and John. Let's go to Acts chapter 3 and get ready to flip your Bible or scroll on your phone or or whatever. You use the Bible app. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. I love hearing those pages. All right. One day, Peter and John... We're going up to the temple at the time of prayer at about three in the afternoon. Now, you know, I just can't, I just can't start there. I got to give you some backstory. Who, who are Peter and John, really? Who, who, is, who is Peter? Who is John? What do we know about them? How, how does this play in? You know, let's go, let's go to Matthew. I told you we're going to flip a little bit. Just, just deal with it. <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Here's here's our introduction to Peter. Peter's doing what he always knew to do. He's doing doing what is probably what his daddy taught him to do. He thought he was always going to be a fisherman. And then Jesus said, follow me. And Peter left what he always knew to follow what Jesus said to do. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I'm not saying every single one of you is going to have to drop you know, exactly, your, you know, your, your trade and everything to follow Jesus, but some of you will. Some of you will choose not to, and you'll miss out on what God wants to do in and through your life. Count the cost. Counting the cost, me, to me, man, I'm counting the cost of, of not saying yes to Jesus. 
It's a higher cost to not say yes to Jesus than to follow him. Amen. Think about the amazing life I'm missing out on. I want to follow him with everything I have. Think about all that Peter experienced that he wouldn't have experienced if he wouldn't have dropped his nets and followed him. You know, you know the Holy Spirit, Jesus said he, he's sending us the Holy Spirit as the comforter. You know why he's the comforter? Because he knows that we're in, we're in this flesh, we're in this earthen body, we're in this, this world, right? And there's still death, there's still the power of sin in the world. Now we're free from it, but it's still there. So it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes for us to follow Jesus. It pushes us out of our comfort zones. It, 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 it's, it's, it, we want to stay safe where we're used to, but it's unsafe, but it's good following him. And so he comforts us as we take those radical steps of faith, just like Peter did. I don't know about you, but I just want to say, I want to have an attitude of my heart, an attitude of my life, no matter what, Jesus, yes, because I know what you say is better for me. No matter what, Jesus, yes. You want to send me to Zambia? You want to send me to India? You want to send me to North Korea? I don't care. Yes. No matter what, Jesus, I want to say, you want to make, you want to make me stay? You want, you want, to, you want me to stay and, and serve under my father? No matter what, Jesus, yes. You want, me to, you want me to stay in this marriage even though it's really hard? No matter what, Jesus, yes. You want me to drive Drop this, this, this thing that I've been holding on to forever, no matter what, Jesus. Yes, you want me to give in a way I've never given before, no matter what, Jesus. I'm following you. Yes, Jesus, because you're my Lord. I'm no longer the Lord of my life, because you always say yes to your Lord. Amen? Amen. Okay, so there you go, Peter. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. Look at this little tidbit. Jesus called them. They're in a boat with their father, and immediately they left the boat and their daddy and followed him. Now, this one's not easy. The scripture says, those who love me hate their father, mother, sister, brother, even themselves. What does that mean? Sometimes our love for Jesus looks like hate for those that are closest to us, even though it's not. When I picked up my family, picked up my, my wife's, I mean, my, my mom's first three grandkids and moved to Clearwater, it looked like hate for her. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for me. I love my mama, but I love Jesus more. I love my daddy. I love serving with him here. But I love Jesus more. Amen. And I know that following him is going to be more of a blessing for them than me staying here. Whatever it takes, God. He who loves his life will lose it. He who loses it for my sake will find it. And it's been a blessing for them. It's been a blessing for this church. It's been a blessing for my family. 
I just, I, I challenge you. God, whatever it takes, I'm following you. That's Peter and John, right? So Peter and John are two completely different types of people. And I just kind of want to pick that out a little bit. Um, uh, these, these Peter and John characters are people just like us. In John chapter 13, this is, and we're going to read a little bit here too. But in John chapter 13, this is one of the most famous, you know, one of the famous passages in the Bible. There, It's at, it's at the Passover and there's some pretty significant stuff. And, and you know, Peter, Peter's been, uh, he's kind of the go-getter. He's the, he's the one that's out in front of the crowd, you know. And um, I just, I picture Peter as this loud, kind of brash, but fun guy. He's like, come on, guys, what are you hanging back there for? Let's do this. He's kind of this all-out, you know. It's all or nothing for Peter, in my mind. And John 13, verse 33, it says, My children, this is Jesus, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you where I am, you cannot come. I just imagine Peter as he's sitting around this table, and Jesus said, where I am, you cannot come. Peter said, whoa, hold on. <laughs> Jesus, don't you know, uh, I saw you and all the other scaredy cats were in the boat, and I ran on, I ran on top of the water to get to you. Where, where I am, you cannot come. So anyway, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Remember what I, what I thought Jesus, I mean, Peter was thinking. Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? Why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Now, I just imagine, too, you know, Peter's been hanging around Jesus. Maybe Peter's thinking about Jesus saying, uh, that no greater love has a man than this, than to lay down his life for a brother. Now, I just see Peter right there. He's, I'll lay my life down for you, Jesus. I'll go wherever you go. He's boasting in his love for God. Man, I love you so much. Don't, don't we do that sometimes? Or you, you hear people, I just, I love God. You don't love God? What's wrong with you? <laughs> you remember that song? <laughs> I love God. <laughs> that was funnier than you guys laughed. <laughs> well, here's, here's Jesus' response. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter boasted in his love for Jesus. Where, where was he focused? Me? What's pride? Self-focus? Pride comes before a fall. Peter's boasting how much he loves Jesus and he falls. Destined to fall. Soon as we start focusing on us and what we can do for God. And what about John? Here we go. John chapter 13. Verse 22. No, verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was talking to him. Jesus was talking to the disciples there at the Passover. Jesus was very troubled in his spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples all stared at one another, at a loss to which one he meant. 
One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back, Jesus, uh, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered. Now, once again, picture this. They're, they're, they're sitting at the table, and Jesus calls, I mean, the 12 disciples sitting around the table. They've been hanging out for almost three years now, and Jesus calls them out and says, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. I just imagine the disciples are all kind of elbowing each other like, wait, wait, wait. Did, you, did you hear that? Is it you? No, it's not me. Is it, is, is it you? No, 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 it's, it's not me. Uh, well, who is it? Bartholomew. It, it, you ask him. I ain't going to ask. Peter. Peter, you walked on the water. You ask him. I ain't asking Jesus. No way. Hey, John, you're the one that he loves. You ask him. See, you see, John is five different times in the book of John that, that it's written, the one who Jesus loves or the one who God loves. John's the one that wrote the book. John wrote about himself as the one who God loves. That just sounds kind of arrogant, don't it? Look to your neighbor on your right side. Say, hey, I'm the one who God loves. Now, I know you're kind of looking at the back of one of your bonum's head, so look the other way and say, hey, I'm the one who God loves. Look at me, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> John boasted in God's love for him. Amen. Peter boasted in his love for God. Yes. And John was able, you know, you know, you can tell the closeness of a relationship when you're able to ask the really tough questions and talk about the really tough things. The closer the relationship, the more intimate the relationship, the more there's trust, the more there's, there's an understanding of love for one another. You can, you can really talk about the, the really tough stuff. So they said, hey, John, you're the one who Jesus loves. You talk to him. And, and John said, hey, Jesus, who's going to betray you? And Jesus answered. When the, what does that song say? When the, when the proverbial, uh, uh, oh, my gosh, it says the fit hit the shan. Uh, <laughs> When things really went down, I'm sorry, Dad, I apologize. This is your pulpit. Uh, uh, I, I apologize. When things got rough, that's better. I'm sorry. That was a country song. I was just singing a country song, guys. When things got really rough and tough, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Oh, it's just Facebook Live. That's no big deal. All right. Hey, guys, when things got rough and tough, when they're crucifying the Savior, when everybody, I mean, and the disciples are scared to death that they're crucifying Jesus. They've been with him for three years, so by association, maybe they're going to come after them too. Everybody's running in fear, and the only one that stuck around when it got tough, the only one that was found at the foot of the cross was the one that, who understood how much God loved him. John, sitting at the foot of the cross. That's amazing. When things get tough, the, the ones who don't run from, from God, the ones who don't run from Jesus, it's, it's the ones who understand how much God loves them. They run to him, not away from him. It's like, it's like if uh, you have two sons uh, and two different fathers. One, one son has a father, and the father, 
Man, he, he, when the son messes up, he just points out every mistake and screams at him. How could you be so dumb, boy? How could you be so stupid? I can't believe that. And when he spanks him, it's punishment. It's because he screwed up so bad. And, and, and over and over and over, this happens for this son. Next time the son screws up, you think he runs to his dad? No, he hides it from him. The other father, he loves his son a lot. And when the son messes up, he disciplines him. You don't discipline your son, you hate him, is what Proverbs says. Spare the rod, spoil the child. He disciplines him, but it's not for punishment's sake. It's for discipline. It's to show him who he really is because he just forgot. And he encourages him, builds him up. Say, hey, I know you lied, son. And, and this is to help you, remind you that, that you're not a liar. You're a truth teller. I believe in you, boy. Now that son, when he messes up, does he hide it from his father or does he run to him? He understands how much his father loves him. He runs to him. And I, I want my kids to understand how much I love them because I know the, the importance of me understanding how much God loves me. I run to God, not away from him. I want my kids to do the same. That's what John did. He was found at the foot of the cross when it was tough. And you know what happened? Jesus said, Mother, this is your son. Jesus entrusted John with more responsibility because of his understanding, because John trusted Jesus that he loved him. It wasn't performance that got him more responsibility. It wasn't boasting on how good he was. It was an understanding of God's love for him. Amen. That's good, isn't it? I want to rest in my father's love for me. That's amazing. Just, I want you to just close your eyes. Say, God, thank you for loving me. I want everybody to act, just keep your eyes closed. I want you to ask out loud. Out loud, ask this question. God, do you love me? What thought came to your mind? See, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. It says, who knows, who, knows a spirit, or who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit inside him? And we have the spirit in us, the spirit of God, who knows the thoughts of God, and he communicates to you. If you heard anything other than, yes, son, yes, daughter, I love you, it wasn't from God. God loves you so much. He wants to communicate with you in real and amazing, awesome ways. All right, <clears throat> so that's uh, Peter and John. Then Jesus dies on the cross, and he rises again, and, and, he, and, he, and he appears to the disciples. And you know, Romans says, uh, what was it 10.9? It says, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again, confess with your mouth that he's Lord, you will be saved, right? Well, they believe that Jesus died, but now they've seen him rise again. They've seen the risen Lord, and they confess him, yes, Lord, and then they're born again. Jesus breathes the Spirit on them. He breathes on them right there. They're born again. It changed in an instant. 
And about 50 days later, Acts 2, you know, the Holy Spirit pours out on, uh, and, and gives them the power to be a witness. And next thing you know, these scaredy frady cats who were running in the face of persecution, all of a sudden, in an instant, instead of running from the people that were trying to stone or trying to crucify Jesus, afraid for their lives, all of a sudden they're running into the streets preaching the gospel to those same people. What happened? What was the difference? Man, they were changed in an instant. Their heart shifted. In an instant, they had the power to be a witness, the power to, to do the same things that Jesus did. Jesus said these words. He said, you will do the same things I do and even greater. I mean, that's amazing. We either just gloss over that because we don't really believe it or we believe it and we begin to live it. I want to be one of those that don't just gloss over the Bible. I want to, I want to read it and be like, man, this is truth. Because you say your word is truth. And if it's more than just characters, if it's people where I can experience these same things, and Jesus, you said we'll do the same things you did and even greater. Oh, my gosh. God, help me to believe this. And we saw right there on that day, those apostles, those disciples who have been walking with him are doing the same things Jesus did and even greater. And it's powerful. Peter, the guy who ran like a fraidy cat, dis just disowned Jesus three times. All of a sudden, he's preaching the gospel in the streets. And we pick up in Acts chapter 2. Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises, the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. It's for you. It's for everybody. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 in a day. 3,000 were added to the number that day. I mean, that's revival, ladies and gentlemen. That's amazing. Now, I got a question for you. You got 3,000 new little baby believers, right? You got, you got these disciples who have been walking with Jesus for a while, and, and, and so they've been taught and trained in this thing. And then you have 3,000 in a day, new little born-again infants. What's their next step? What do you do as a new little born-again infant? Like, well, the scripture is very clear. It's very clear. Let's, let, let's go to the very next verse. Here's what they did. And here's what you do. Not just as a new little born-again infant. As a toddler, as someone who's been living for Jesus for 20 years, for 30 years, for 50 years, this is what we do. You ready? Verse 42, Acts, Acts uh, 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Four things. Let me pull that. It's a little big, but it's good. The apostles' teaching, oh, no, it's perfect, actually. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles had been walking with Jesus longer than they had, right? They found someone walking with Jesus a little bit longer than they had, and they spent time with them, listened to them, saw how they 
uh, saw what they were teaching. Man, and I would encourage you to do the exact same thing. Find somebody in your daily life. Of course, come to church and listen, man. I grew up under this man's uh, um, word, man. I am who I am because of mom and dad uh, and what they spoke into my life and listening to the teaching and, and going back to the word and saying, is that, is that true? Is that what he said? Is that what you said? Wow, it is. That's amazing. Devote yourself. Devote yourself. Like This is an awesome church. And find some friends who have been walking with Jesus a little bit longer than you have. Or maybe not even longer, maybe just a little more intimately. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for 25 years, but really, not, not from, you've kind of been walking from a distance, but you see somebody that's been walking with him for three years, and they know more about him than you do. Hey, grab their hand. Say, I know, I know I've been in church all my life, but, but you know Jesus on a whole different level. Would you show me who, who he is a little bit more clearly? Devote yourself. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. I can quote it because you know, I'm almost going to be here for a second. You don't have to. Or you can, you can turn there too. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Everybody say imitate their faith. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now that... You know, we quote that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's a great scripture to quote just by itself. It really is, because he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it's connected with remember your leaders and the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Why? Because the process that they went through in order to get that faith, the process that they went through to get that outcome, their way of life, it's the same process you need to go through. Man, if they're waking up in the morning early and, and getting along with Jesus and you want the same relationship with God that they have, imitate their faith. Start waking up early in the morning and getting with Jesus just like they do. You go hang out with them, go, go eat with them, and you see them pray for the waiter as they come in. And you're like, man, I could never do that. The Bible says imitate their faith. Next time you go, you saw them do it. Hey, step out of your comfort zone. Follow the Holy Spirit. Pray for your waiter just like they did. You want the outcome of their way of life, but are not willing to live the way that they're living? It's not going to happen. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. One. Number two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but also they devoted themselves to fellowship. To fellowship. To hanging out with one another. To having fun. To listen. To talking. You are one relationship away from knowing Jesus better than you've ever known him before. Think about that. You're one relationship away. I know I've been talking for a long time. Let's shake ourselves. Wake up a little bit. There you go. One relationship away from knowing Jesus better than you've ever known him before. All right. Look to the person on your right. Some of you guys are going to have to look to the person on your left, otherwise they look at the back of your head. Look to the person on your right. No, really, I'm serious. Take a look. Everybody look over. I, I, ain't, I ain't playing. Look, look to the other person. Look them in the eyes. Good. 
<laughs> now, chances are one of them knows, has a revelation of Christ that you ain't ever even dreamed about. And all it takes is conversation. All it takes is hanging out, asking them questions and listening. What's God been doing in your life lately? Hey, man, what's, what's, what's Jesus taught you lately in your, in your study of the word? Like when, when, you're, when you're in scripture, what, what's your prayer life like? How do you pray? Chances are the other person, they need a revelation of Jesus, the one that you have. And they're just waiting on you. Say, hey, how can I pray for you? To begin to speak into their life. Man, we are not created to do this thing alone. I know it's so easy in American culture. Man, I come to church, I go back home, and I just, just go about my, my day. I'm, I'm busy, and we make all kinds of excuses. But you know what? Isolation kills. But fellowship strengthens, encourages, and grows. Isolation kills. Man, we think, oh, I just don't feel good today. I'm not with it. I ain't had a great week. I'm just going to stay home, or I'm not going to go hang out with this people, or I'm not going to go to Bible study. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not. Isolation kills. That's a ploy of the enemy. Just, when you don't feel good, that's when you need to be around brothers and sisters in Christ. That's when you need the church. I know you don't feel like it, but we don't live by feeling. We live by what he says. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Isolation kills. Think about, think about in Africa. The, 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 think about a gazelle. Think about the, the, the animal planet shows. You got this group of gazelles, and they're running. And you got these hyenas, Lion Kings coming out. <laughs> but you got this group of gazelles. You got this, these hyenas in the, in the, in the, in the brush giggling. Right, that's Lion King. <laughs> And uh, they're not going to go for the one that's in the middle of the pack. Which one do they go for? It's the one that's isolated themselves. It's the weak one. It's the sick one. It's the one that feels bad and doesn't want to be around the other ones because they feel shame and guilty. And so they attack that one. Now the rest of the pack better turn around and go save that one. Bring them back. But let them know that there is no shame and no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's, there, there's no condemnation. They feel in that because they just believe in a lie. Remind them of the truth. And that's the importance of the person being the person on the right. Encourage them. Take them out to lunch. Say, hey, let's hang out. Remind them that they're not in this thing alone. We're not in this thing alone. Isolation. If you don't get anything, hopefully you get more than one thing. But if you get one thing, isolation kills. But fellowship strengthens, encourages, and grows. It's important. 13 minutes. All right, we're good. Devoted himself to, I, I get longer to preach at dad's church. I only get 30, 35 minutes at my church. <laughs> All right. <laughs> to the breaking of bread. Okay, now the breaking of bread goes along with fellowship, but let me tell you guys this story. I like to sit down sometimes. We, we got to uh, Clearwater about, about two years ago. Actually, it was two years ago. July 24th was our, is our two-year anniversary. And uh, about three weeks later, we had a barbecue at our house, and I invited everybody that I knew, which was people that I had met in those three weeks. You know, we have 
my wife tells me it was about 50. I think it was about 40. But 40 to 50 people come over that three weeks after we moved to a city where we didn't know, come over to a barbecue, which is awesome. Broke bread together, prayed for the city. It's amazing. You know, one of those families that came over was Egyptian. They came over to a, a Bible study we had two weeks later, and the guy told me this, Mia, or Maya. He said, uh, we've been in America for years. Nobody's ever invited us. I've never been in an American's home. Never. I challenge you guys. Man, the church is a global church. It is a global church. We're created. Man, you know what? We're going to see the most clear picture of Jesus when we're, when we're around the throne worshiping. Every tribe, tongue, and nation is around the throne worshiping. That's when we'll see the most clear picture of Jesus. Because there's people in other cultures that see Jesus more clearly in a certain way than we do. We, we see Jesus this way, man, and, and because of their experiences and their worldview, they see, Jesus, they see aspects of Jesus that we could never comprehend. And when we get around them, we're like, man, because of the fellowship, we're, we're, we're talking, we're asking questions like, wow, I never saw it that way. Now, when we get all of that around the throne, we're going to see a, the most clear picture of Jesus because we're together. I challenge you, ask people that are of a different culture than you. Invite them into your home. Cook them dinner. Serve them. Ask them. Build relationships with them. We're a global church. Amen. We could be global even here in Franklin Parish. Isn't that amazing? And then they devoted themselves to number four, they devoted themselves to prayer. What is prayer? Talking with God, that is, a, that is half of prayer. Talking with God is half of prayer. Prayer is communication with God. Communication is both speaking and listening. Now, a lot of people think prayer is talking with God, so they go into their closet or, or they pray around people, whatever, wherever they, they pray, or at, at lunch or at dinner, and they're praying and they just talk to God, and they turn and they leave. God's like, wait, I got, I got words to say too. Hold on, you got one mouth and two ears, boy. Man, what if we listen to God twice as much as we talk to him? I mean, really. You're like, well, wait, can we really hear God? Yes, once again, we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? We have the mind of Christ. Who knows the spirit of, I mean, the, the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the, of the man that's in him? And, and the spirit of God knows all the thoughts of God. And we're filled with his Holy Spirit. We can know the thoughts of our Savior. We can know him. We can, we, we can grow in our understanding, grow in our communication, be able to understand when we have a prompt to go and do something that, at, man, that's not for me. I would never think to go to pray for that person in public, but, man, I have the thought to go do that. I better step out of my comfort zone and walk over there and do it. What, what did Jesus do when he lived on the earth as a man? Incarnated, God incarnate as a man. He didn't do anything unless he heard the Father doing it. Saying it. He didn't say anything unless he heard the Father say it. He didn't do anything unless he saw the Father doing it. His focus was on him. He was in constant prayer, listening to the Father. Because prayer is listening too. And so he's listening, 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 listening. And Father says, hey, go pray for that person. He, I'm going to pray. Boom. Healed. Why? Because it was the Father's will because he heard the Father say it. 
He knew the Father's will. And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have it. Done. Boom. So, eight minutes. Here we go. Now let's get to the message. <laughs> Acts, 40, no, Acts 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Don't invite people into your homes and, and then just complain about life. Shut up. Man, be thankful. Be glad. You have life. God has given you life. The Bible says rejoice in all things. Again, I say rejoice. I'm going to tell you three or four more times. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. Be thankful in every situation. Okay. Glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. I want to tell you, even in Franklin Parish, a, a parish of a little over 20,000 people, God wants to add to your number daily. Daily. He wants to add to your number daily. And he will add to your number daily as we understand who we are in Christ. But, but when we understand who we are in Christ, it's more than just personal. Because, because I have, you have the same Holy Spirit in you that I have in me. And because we have that spirit in one another, we're connected. You know what? The blood of Christ is thicker than family blood. Woo! I'm stepping on toes. Man, I have, I have family all over the world. Now, I love my family. I love them dearly. I love my family. I give my life for my family, but I give my life for you too. I do anything for my family. Anything. And you're my family too. I, I, I live and die for those that Christ tell me to live and die for. And that's people in North Korea too. That's some jihadists in Iraq. God loves them. Christ died for them. He said, follow me. Come on. All right, so Peter and John, this is where we started. Peter and John were going to the temple. There was a lame man sitting by the gate, a gate called Beautiful. Peter and John said, I don't have money to give you because he was begging. He, he, they, they asked him to look straight at him because he probably wasn't looking at him just because, you know, he wouldn't, most people didn't really love him enough to talk to him, I, I would assume. Didn't expect people to, lo to love him and probably had some shame because he had been there for over 40 years. Got him to look at him, had compassion on him, saw him where he was, said, I don't have money to give you, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. Instantly, his ankles and feet were strengthened. He had been lame for his, since birth for over 40 years. Instantly they're strengthened. He gets up and walks. Now remember, I'm not telling you a Bible story of something that happened 2,000 years ago that has no meaning for you. No, this, they're more than just characters, guys. This is an example for you. You have the same Jesus in you that they had in them. In his name, rise up and walk. 
And he got up. Now, the crowd's amazed, and, uh, and Peter said, Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness we made this man walk? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't their power. It wasn't their godliness. It was God's godliness in and through them. They understood who they were in Christ. They were in awe at the miracles and wonders. But it wasn't about the performance. It wasn't about miracles and wonders. It was about loving people radically because they understood who they were. It's amazing. For example, I'm, I'm in the airport Thursday, coming here. This girl has this brace on her knee. I say, hey, ma'am, what's going on with your knee? What happened? She said, oh, I've had arthritis and, and joint pain since I was born. I said, really? So your, your knee's painful right now? She said, yeah. I said, can I pray for it? She said, what? I'm in the airport. Random person had a thought. Go do it. So I just went and did it. Why? Because I made one decision. Say yes to Jesus, even in the little things. Man, Bible says lay hands on the sick. I'm crazy enough to believe it. I said, ma'am, would you mind if I, I bend down, lay hands on your, on your... She said, it's okay. I'm, I'm sure everybody's looking saying, man, that's weird. I don't care. I'm free from me, so I'm free from everyone else's opinion of me. Who cares what you think? So I bend down, I grab her, her, her knee, and man, it's not this big religious prayer and, and screaming and hollering and hooting. I'm just saying, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. And we just invite you right here in this knee. And, and God, I just thank you for loving this amazing woman, and she's precious to you. Amen. Stand up, and then I ask her this question. Hey, would you test your knee out, see if it's any better? She looks at me kind of crazy. We want to just pray and run on. Sometimes that's right. Sometimes God says no. Ask him. She starts to test it out. She goes, oh, my gosh, it's popped. Oh, my, oh my God. She, she starts walking. She don't have any limp anymore. And, she, and I, I said, you know what? God did that because he loves you and he cares about you. And I went and got on the plane. Just seated with the gospel. That is one of many miracles. And it's not because of my godliness. It's just I understand who I am in Christ, and I understand I'm the one that God loves. But here's the crazy part is God loves you just as much as he loves me. God didn't love John more than he loved the rest of them. John was just the only one that knew and received how much he loved them. That's it. Right? How amazing is that? I'll tell you about this one family, and I'm closed. We have a family that's been coming to our church since before the beginning, they were beating with us in a coffee shop, praying for their family to come to know Jesus. And uh, I remember holding hands with them in the parking lot at the coffee shop, praying for their friends and their families, calling a couple by name. Two weeks later, that couple's at, our, at the coffee shop. God answered prayer. About four weeks later, I'm meeting one-on-one with the guy that we were praying for by name who had ran from the church, been hurt by church for like a decade. We used to be a worship leader, wouldn't even touch a guitar. Met with him one-on-one, got to minister to him. He's an amazing guy. And then I I didn't see him, about a month. I'm driving to the grocery store. There he goes. Me and and our worship leader at the time, we looked at him, and we honked the horn to say, hey. And he turns, he goes, (laughs) flipped us off. I rolled down the window. I said, hey. And, he, and he, he looked and he walked up. He said, I said, man, how you doing? He said, well, I guess you see how I'm doing. <laughs> I said, let's meet. So we got together a, a, a couple weeks later. 
God ministered to him. Next thing you know, he's, he's uh, uh, serving faithfully at our church. God just radically shifted him. He picked up a guitar. He's been hosting small groups at his house. All because of prayer. Prayer is powerful and effective. Prayer works. And, and the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Your prayers are powerful and effective. Next thing you know, this, this couple, they're praying, praying for their, their, her father. She's from England. Her father's 80 years old in Portsmouth, England. And uh, atheist. And mother-in-law just praying for her family. She, uh, months, she, a couple months go by, she ends up going to Portsmouth and uh, on a vacation, asking us to pray for, for them. Dear, dear family, they come and hang out at our house about once a week. And uh, she's in Portsmouth. She mentions the word pastor even before she even gets David out. She's talking about, you know, what, what matters to her. She, before she even gets the word David out, she mentions the word pastor. Her, her father just goes off on her. How could you talk to me about this stuff like this? You're always trying to, you know, trying to convert me and all this stuff just rails at her. I mean... She's hurt, broken for him, comes back home. We're praying, praying, praying about three or four months later. This was about a month and a half ago. Her father and mother-in-law end up coming to the States to visit them. Now they, Mike and Angie, they say, look, we're we're probably not going to be at church for two weeks. We're going to be spending time with them, pray. We'd love for them to come to church. We just know that they're not going to want to. And they're faithful. I mean, they lead our serve team and everything. And it's going to hurt us. But I'm just like, okay, you know, give them grace. Love them, pray for them, and pray them with them. Next thing you know, service comes up. There's Mike, Angie, her father, and her mother-in-law sitting in our service. What? Week goes by. They're there for two weeks. They prepared us. We're probably not going to come back. You know, it was a miracle that they came. Next thing you know, there's Mike, Angie, her father, and mother-in-law, all in real church shirts that he made them all wear. The atheist father. Two days later, two days later, next thing you know is Mike, Angie, her father, and mother-in-law sitting on my couch at our Bible study. I get to share the gospel with them. They stay later. I get to share the gospel again with them. He weeps on our couch. Three days later, there's Mike's father, I mean Angie's father, sitting on our couch again, giving a Bible. He knows Jesus asking me to write him a note in his Bible. And Mike's, uh, Angie's mother-in-law at the beach the day before came out of the water and told Angie she had just given her life to Jesus. Amen. Now I'm going to be a little prophetic. About five months before that, we were praying in our, in our living room. I felt the power of God. And I told Angie, one day, Real Church is going to plant a church in Portsmouth, England. Where you see God at work is your invitation to join him. This was confirmation. God's moving in Portsmouth, England, and Angie's family. See, you planted a church that's going to plant churches. What you don't know is week before last, we had a church planter who's planting a church in Tampa in September. Preach in our pulpit, and our church gave the whole offering that Sunday to that church planter. 2085 bucks. wrote him a check. Boom. Why? Because we believe the local church is the hope of the world. And we're creating a culture 
that this church has right here because it's the same DNA that we believe in radical generosity. We believe in sowing in people. We believe, we believe God does miracles and God's going to reproduce this thing all over the world. Not just churches. Guess what? Where clay go? Fresh starts too. And you, you don't know how many people they ask me when I tell them the story. They say, you, gonna, you guys going to start a fresh start here? We need it. It's just the beginning. Today I got a text from my wife before we got started. We have in our, in our dream team, I, I guess I told you guys, we have 50 people serving today in the dream team huddle. God is setting a foundation. It's slower than I expected. You got to be slow when you're setting a good foundation. Father, I just thank you for who you are. Thank you, Dad, for letting me preach.